back, y'all. This is another mini-sode of NBA, the podcast that tries to talk about NBA shit, but we mostly just talk a lot of shit. Um, we are back for another episode. Uh, as many of you know by now, we've been going through the seasons from when uh, MJ retired until we can't go anymore because the NBA is back. Um, this week, we'll be covering the 09 uh, 2010 season. Make sure you catch up on the all, all the episodes prior to this week's episode when we cover this season. Um, but before we do that, um, we have a special guest on today's podcast. We have Keith Parrish of the Fast Break Outbreak. I don't even know what to call you guys anymore. The Fast Break <laughs> Breakfast Podcast. Welcome back, Keith. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, uh, Fast Break Breakfast. We have switched over to Outbreak Breakout. But if you Google Outbreak Breakout, you're not going to find us. So yes, Fast Break Breakfast. Fast Break breakfast um we are excited to have keith back to return to the podcast to talk about his beloved memphis grizzlies but today keith i brought you on because we are talking about the team of the memphis grizzlies um the grit and grind grizzlies one of the greatest and most um i don't know if fun is the right word (laughs) i guess gritty is the best (laughs) word to use but one of one of the most uh one of the teams that was the easiest to root for for an extended period of time in the NBA. But I wanted to bring you on today, Keith. And I wanted to ask you a couple of questions in regards to the grit and grind Grizzlies. Does that, uh, does that work for you? That's perfect. That's my love. That's, that's why you're here. That's so right. I want to take you back. I want to take you back, Keith, prior to 2001, prior to Memphis, even having a basketball team, yeah. young Keith Parrish, yeah. watching basketball, not mm-hmm. having a professional team. Right. Who was, who was your team at that time? What was your rooting interest? I actually, so I, I grew up, um, my first basketball memories were cheering for the Pistons in the 80s. Oh. So I initially was a Pistons fan. That was on TV. All my friends were Larry Bird fans, and I didn't like it. And sure. so I, I was against that. So the Pistons, like Dennis Rodman, clothesline Larry Bird, I loved it. Bill Embiid did the same thing, sure. I loved it. So I was a huge Pistons fan. And then living in Nashville, Tennessee, um, like in the mid-90s, the Pistons weren't good anymore. They weren't on TV at all. So like, sure. I never saw play again. And then I jumped on the bandwagon of the Suns, and I basically rode the Suns bandwagon until the Grizzlies were announced that they were coming to Memphis. Oh. I was in college at that point, and – I mean, I liked the Suns then. The Suns had Jason Kidd, and the Suns had, uh, like, they had a year of Antonio Big Dice. It was really cool. So I, I liked the Suns then, but I was, st- I was very wishy-washy. I was very, like, I was, I'd gotten very obsessed with the NBA maybe the couple seasons prior and just loved the whole league. But then when the Grizzlies were announced that they were moving from Vancouver to Memphis, I was like, that's in-state. I feel that geographic kinship. That's close enough. And so since the first season in Memphis, I've been a diehard Grizzlies fan. You know, Keith, you were ahead of your time. You were just one of those NBA fans that just like followed his favorite players around until uh, until yeah. he settled on a team. So you are way ahead of your time, sir. Now, um, the early days of the Memphis Grizzlies were not the prettiest of days. Uh, what do you remember most about that period of Grizzlies basketball? Well, I mean, I remember the very beginning when they were just terrible and it was fun, I guess, because no one ever cared about them. And it was just like I could still be a bandwagon, I guess, of other teams because the Grizzlies were bad all that time. I mean, my standout memories are, are Gordon Gearcheck had a huge game, like his first game ever as a rookie. Uh, there right. was this great guy named Antonis Fotsis, who I was certain was going to be amazing if they ever played him, but they never played sure. him. I mean, they. I mean, honestly, they got good. They got decent kind of fast. I want to say it took them four years, and yeah. then they started winning games. Hubie Brown came in. They played similar to the way the way they played this season, 
where they they went 10 deep. This season's Grizzlies team, their second unit is awesome, and that's been a lot of their success this year. And that's how the early Grizzlies years with Pau Gasol, they played 9, 10 guys all the time, and they had some bad playoff matchups. I mean, I'm trying to remember. I don't know the exact date. I guess I should look it up. But I think the 2006 season, they were probably the fifth best team in the West. Right. But because of the seedings, it used to be that whoever won their division got one of the top four top seeds. Yep. So like it was really messed up where the Grizzlies had to play the Dirk Nowitzki Mavericks who were awesome, like a 60 win team. And it wasn't fair at all. The four or five matchup, I think was Clippers nuggets that year. And the Grizzlies were clearly better than both of those teams, but the Grizzlies got hammered by Dirk's Mavericks who were, I mean, they were way better. Oh, and sure. so because of that, you had the Pau Gasol years where they were fun, but then he kind of got tired of maybe realizing they weren't going to get over the hump. And so you had that three-year playoff run where they never won a playoff game. They were sweeped in the first round each year. So that takes you to like 07, where they then started the rebuild again. And out of that came the grit and grind. Now, it's a great segue because you guys really lucked into Pau Gasol because the first two picks in that draft were uh, Kwame Brown and, and Eddie Curry. Kwame Brown, who you guys would have um, not not long after, uh, <laughs> I might I might add. But I want to think. Uh, uh, actually, Kwame Brown, I'm pretty sure was one of the biggest free agent signings in Grizzlies history, just on the amount of money they paid him. Congratulations. Yeah, and it, it was a terrible. Th- I think I read articles about it where they were like. Uh, one of the scouts was like, yeah, I'm not sure Kwame Brown likes playing basketball. Yeah. <laughs> and then they offered him some pretty That's big contract. Yeah, like, yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Oh back. God. <laughs> Kwame Brown. Uh, we've talked about him a lot over the last couple of weeks. Um, so many different versions and iterations of Kwame Brown. He's just a fascinating character and his hands are too damn small. Um, yeah. But in any case, so the Pau Gasol years come to kind of a lull and they swing a trade with the Lakers. Now at the time, and I think you could still argue to this day, it was a very one-sided trade in yeah. the Lakers. Just kind of, I mean, I'm so done with the the term fleecing, but I can't think of any other word right now. So uh, the Memphis Grizzlies were fleeced in said trade. Um, for the listeners who may not remember the actual trade itself, let me read this off to you because it's a fantastic little uh, well, exchange I mean, of players. I can, I mean, off the top of my head, I know <laughs> the, the the crown jewel of that trade was Javaris Crittenden. And <laughs> yes, he was. And they did get some first round picks, which ended up being in the late twenties because the Lakers were incredible. So Shocker. I mean, like, was, uh, I don't. Who else was involved? There was a was was Kwame involved in that too? Somehow. Yep, Kwame was involved. Okay. So you had okay. Kwame, Javaris, Aaron McKee, and the rights to the man well, that we'll talk about very soon. Right. So Mar- the rest of Mar- Marcus saw, and so. People have tried to reverse engineer that trade as being a success. And Chris Wallace, the GM, was saying, like, sure. we wouldn't have done that trade without getting Marcus Saul. But I have never had anyone show me the proof where an article was written or a quote was said right. where the Grizzlies say, Our prospect we're getting is Marcus Saul. We're excited about this. Like, no, right. it seemed like complete luck that yeah. a throw in a second round pick who had ties to Memphis. I think they got him right. to ties to Memphis. It went to high school in Memphis. Right. And, and the Gasol name, they got him. And yes, that again, I, I'll, I'm going to come back to this. There's an argument to be made that everything the Grizzlies have done, all of their successes have been complete luck. Yeah. People could argue that it was skill and it was team building, but all their huge moves feel like complete luck. Like, <laughs> and again, getting Marcus Gasol, who is probably a Hall of Famer 
getting him in this deal as a throw in. Yeah. No, it changed the Grizzlies and it was awesome. But yeah, we had that same conversation a few weeks back with my, my, my co-host and I was just like, when you look at their career numbers, now granted, like style of play is so drastically different. Like Mark very much on the defensive end, Paul very much a scorer. Um, and he is a de- he's a stat stuffing rebounder. Like I wouldn't necessarily call him a yes. better rebounder than Marcus Saul, but um very comparable careers. The only real like outlier is like all NBA teams and and rings, which Powell really only leads by one. Um which is unfortunate. We really thought that we would get one when he came to Chicago, but we, alas, <laughs> alas, we did not. Powell, but Powell was like, so Powell racked up, I, I want to say an all NBA team or something when he was in Chicago, mm-hmm. he was, he was secretly bad. Uh, yeah. yeah like, he had massive numbers. He made mm-hmm. an all-star game, but he was uh, bad. Like he oh, yeah. was good. Yeah. And the, 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 the comparison of Marcus Gasol and Powell Gasol, I think is such an interesting conversation nationally because of Powell's, career on the Lakers, winning titles on the Lakers, and then again, making all-star games on the Bulls. Everyone's like, Powell's a better player. I've I've argued on other podcasts before. I, I don't feel strongly about it, but I yeah. think Marcus Gasol at his peak was a better player. There's another argument that maybe Powell's peak was like nine years and Mark's peak was only maybe five years or That's six years. So I don't yeah. know, but like, I think Mar- Marcus Gasol was in fact the best player on... 55 win teams. Right. I don't think Pal Gasol could have been the best player on a 55 win team. So that's like yeah. where it comes down to me. And like you said, Marcus Gasol is a better rebounder, even though he averages like six rebounds a game. Right. <laughs> and and yeah. Pal just picks up all those cheap defensive ones. So yeah, and I think just like stylistically, and I think a lot of people just don't even think about this. Like the the, the nature of the style that 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 Powell plays. Uh, conversely, looking at like. Mark's style of play, like Mark's style of play. Now, granted, like the system around him and the grit and grind kind of style, which we'll talk about here shortly, that definitely lended to his his strong suits. But like his style of play and like being very defensive minded and like doing the things that others didn't want to do, like sacrificing stats for team success. Like, and that's not to say that Powell didn't. It's just the nature of Powell's game was very uh, uh, stat driven. The only I think argument, and, and you just pointed it out, Keith, is that the peak period for pow was much longer. It was like nine to six maybe. So like, there's like a three year window there where like pow is definitely top five center in the league for at least a four year stretch, if, if not more. Um, so that takes me to the next point that I wanted to bring up, which, so we, we get Marcus all in this trade. Um, a few years later, we draft Michael Conley, Mike, uh, pick up a couple random pieces, Tony Allen from the Celtics. What to you was the, the, the true cherry on top that finalized what became the grit and grind period. If there was one thing that you could just like point at. So I, I think it was a fortuitous break. They, they picked up Zach Randolph in a, mm-hmm. in a move that I clearly remember hating at the time. It was the Grizzlies had cap room. They had, if my memory serves me correctly, Marcus all had just started playing and Mike Conley had been a rookie. They had Rudy gay. It looked like they had a good pieces. Like that's a very good core. Cause immediately the first year Marcus all played, it was like, Oh, this guy's solid. Like he's immediately good mm-hmm. as a rookie. He was an older rookie and Mike Conley, you know, was rough raw around the edges, but I, I kind of liked him. I was like, all right, he, he's right. okay. Rudy gay w- was good. And we we're like, Oh, Ru- we got Rudy gay. We have all these pieces. Now we have cap room. Let's bring in the next big piece. And they ended up acquiring Zach Randolph. They, they did it for free, basically. They, they There was some salary cap funny business. They traded 
Quentin Richardson's yeah. salary just for Zach Randolph. But like Zach Randolph was a laughing stock in the league at that point. His right. time on the Knicks, like terrible. It was early on YouTube. Like YouTube was early. Right. This was like 2010 right. YouTube. But I remember one of the big videos was it was they were making fun of those. The NBA is where incredible happen where amazing happens. I can't oh, remember. Yeah. It, was, it was black and white. Yeah. slow motion with this like piano score. And there were so many of them of Zach Randolph taking terrible shots because yeah. he was three happy. He was like, he was right. airballing three pointers. There was all these like Isaiah Thomas, the coach rubbing his temples while it's that. And so Zach Randolph was a laughing stock. Like he was a stats first guy where, right. where he was a selfish player. And I, I think those criticisms were valid at that point. So I was so upset when, when they got, I, I remember thinking like, I'd rather have Brandon Bass, oh, who's just sure. like a solid pro. You know, yeah. I'd rather have a guy. That guy contributes to winning. Right. You know? And uh, it turned out that Zach Randolph was incredible and became yeah. an all-star player. Like, he put it all together in Memphis. And so the final piece was, like, the fact that Mark and Zach became this tandem. And I don't right. know what caused that to happen, but all of Zach's talents. And, I mean, he'd, he'd been a 20-point scorer in the NBA. Right. It's just Maybe maybe it was it was unfair. He had this label as being a selfish player. He was on bad teams, taking bad shots. Right. But maybe he found the competitive spirit with Gasol and was like, "We can be good. I like it here." And he was awesome. They were awesome. And then the next fortuitous bounce, the piece, Xavier Henry blows his ACL out because without that, maybe Tony Allen never cracks the rotation they signed Tony Allen, but Tony Allen was not playing very much. He was playing right. like eight minutes a game because you had OJ Mayo and Xavier Henry taking all those minutes. Xavier Henry gets hurt. OJ Mayo then gets beat up on the team plane by Tony Allen. This is like famous in Grizzlies lore. Uh, OJ Mayo was not paying, I believe his, his Bure uh, dues. Uh, so he wasn't, time. <laughs> so he wasn't paying his, his, for the card game on the team plane. He got beat up. He missed a game. You can look on, ba on basketball reference. It says like, it says, I think it says DMP flu like symptoms, but <laughs> everyone knew he got beat up and like, he couldn't play. He was beat up so bad. And they let Tony Allen Body start. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They let Tony Allen start and Tony Allen had one of the best games of his career. Wow. And basically the team was good after that. That was the 2010, 2011 season. They were good. Like they were awesome. The rest of the season, they upset the Spurs. They angled to play the one seed Spurs in the playoffs. They thought this matchup is good for us. They yeah. won their first playoff series they were very close to making the conference finals. And so the long answer to you, to your, like, what was the thing? It was mainly Zach Randolph becoming like the perfect partner for Gasol and turning his career around. And then Tony Allen, finally getting a chance to play and then those guys becoming what grit and grind was Tony yeah. Allen in, in one of those games in that season is when he said all heart grit grind. And right. that became the thing. Right. So. Yeah. The mantra. It's interesting. Cause like in, in Zach Randolph's defense, like early on in his career, he played for two of the most terribly run franchises in yes. the NBA and the Knicks and the Clippers. So like, not doing him any favors well, and the trailblazers were the jailblazers when he was there yeah, and they had all exactly. their problems too. So yeah, he, you know, he had a, he had a rough road, so there is a yeah. defense for him. Sure. Yeah. He's a, he's an interesting cat. I remember Steve Kerr telling a story about like, this is just like who Zach Randolph was as a dude, like how na naive he was. He told a story about how, when he was playing with the blazers, he and Zach Randolph were on the team playing right around Christmas time. And Zach Randolph was talking about like how long their Christmas break was. And he was like, yeah. 
this is NBA, dude. There are no Christmas breaks. Like, that's over. This ain't college. You're not at Michigan State anymore, dude. Are you kidding me? Uh, and that's just, like, who he was early on. I, I love that story. And I think the story ends with, like, Rick Adam, whoever was the coach then, I can't remember. But they, they let him go home. They're yeah. Like, they let him go home for a Christmas break for a week. Because he was uh, 19. He was, I think he was 19 then. Right. Yeah. The, old, uh, <laughs> the old Dennis Rodman treatment, letting him have a 48-hour break. <laughs> Right. Um, probably uh, I would hope a lot less cocaine uh, over at least over Christmas. Uh, <laughs> fingers crossed. So you brought up you brought up the team from 2010 2011. Obviously, the team that um, upset the Spurs in the first round had a really deep run. Um, Zach Randolph really leading the charge. You, know, you mentioned that they kind of like angled and plotted towards getting the Spurs in the in the first round can you can you explain that a little bit more detail for the listeners and kind of like run down what some of the things were and why they felt so strongly about that matchup i can't honestly i can't i can't remember the specifics of why they felt so comfortable with that matchup but they they i know they rested everybody their last two games and they preferred playing the one seed spurs i guess i should look up who the two seed was that year yeah, um so. and they uh, like they, they just they just wanted that was the matchup they wanted i i think they thought that they didn't have anyone who could guard both Mark and Zach. Uh, Tim Duncan was playing the five mainly. You had Antonio McDice, who was on his very last legs at that point, mm-hmm. playing the four. And, and again, Zach Randolph was a monster at the peak of his skills and was absolutely amazing and won that series. And and so Rudy Gay is actually injured. He doesn't even play in this playoffs. And it was a, it was a weird year where I think that like, Grizzlies fans, we can delude ourselves into thinking they had a chance maybe to make the the finals or win the finals. Because that's the year the Dallas Mavericks won it over the Heat as right. a sixth seed. And the Grizzlies, if they had Rudy Gay, there, there's always the argument, maybe the Grizzlies were always better without Rudy Gay. But yeah. the Grizzlies made it to Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals against an inc- a very good Thunder team. The Thunder team that had... Ibaka and Harden and Westbrook and Durant. And they were starting Sam Young at the three and they only went about six or seven deep. Like they didn't have enough guys. Um, And if you just had Rudy Gay for maybe one more guy, you feel like they could have gotten there. Uh, it looks yeah. like the Lakers were the two seed. Yeah, that I was year. just gonna say that, and that was like that was Andrew Bynum and Pau Gasol coming off of a championship. Like yeah. from a matchup perspective, you can understand why they would right. try to avoid yeah. the Lakers in the first round. I mean, two, two guys who one, like from an athleticism standpoint, like definitely give Gasol and Randolph like a major issue. And then, Oh, by the way, Kobe Bean Bryant, uh, he just happens to play for the Lakers. And is that Andrew his- Bynum in his career obliterated the Grizzlies every time. I mean, literally people forget like Bynum was really awesome for a few years right. and right. he, he had some monster, like, like 14 for 17 from the field, 36 points, 25 rebound type games where it was just, yeah, he messed us up. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Rudy Gay is another interesting player because he's actually had a nice run with the Spurs over the last couple of seasons. Has actually been a formidable player for now. Granted, like they're at the tail end of of their who knows what's going to fucking happen with the with the the the, the new playoff or whatever the hell they're right. going to do with the. Right. So they may they may continue their streak. Who really knows? But like uh, Rudy Gay is, he's an interesting player to me in that like he was oftentimes uh, traded for being this guy that was like good and could fill up the stat sheet, but you just couldn't win with. Was that your experience with him as a, as a Grizzly? Like, how do you remember him as a Grizzly? Yeah. I think unfortunately his memory has been kind of degraded a little bit because they traded him and got very good. Like, like they, 
they had playoff success whenever he wasn't there. He only played one playoff series with the Grizzlies and, and they lost in the first round. Um, I mean, he was a good player. It looked like the first few years of his career, he was going to be, he projected to be an all-star or like right. one of your team's best one or two players. And I think the Grizzlies credit the front office um, when they got very, very good in 2013, 14. And when they made the, the conference finals, they understood the Grizzlies had enough pieces and Rudy, he's just, he's a bad passer. And he was miss he's miscast as that role of being a primary like alpha dog. Yeah. And the Grizzlies knew they were better if you just replaced him with a guy who never shot and played defense, which was Tayshawn Prince. So right. they thought, hey, we can get value for here. We can get Ed Davis and Tayshawn Prince and set this team up better for the future. And so the Grizzlies actually got better without Rudy Gay. Unfortunately for Rudy Gay, the Raptors did the same thing. The Raptors <laughs> traded Rudy Gay away and got got good. So it was this thing where eventually to Rudy Gay's credit, he accepted as I'm maybe a better role player. I can be efficient right. and just be like a, a, a big three, maybe a smallish four. And he had some overlooked years on the Kings where he was pretty solid. And now yeah. he's as a later in his career, he's still a pretty solid backup with the Spurs, but it was just a thing where maybe, I don't know, maybe he could have ended up there. There's a path where he becomes like a first or second best player on a good playoff team. I mean, he's not, again, I don't want to besmirch his memory too much. He was a very good player on a Grizzlies team that, you know, won 50 games and such. And so he was good, but they found with the pieces they had, the Grizzlies could do better without him. Yeah. Yeah. He's got an interesting, just so many interesting pieces on that team. I want to ask you this. um, And then we'll move on to the 2013 team because I'm very interested to talk about that. Is there a player that isn't a part of that core four of TA and Zach Randolph and and Marcus soul and Mike Conley that like really was the epitome, like during that stretch, let's call it 2009 to, I guess technically it ended in 2017, but I'll kind of let you be the judge as to when that ends. But, um, is there a player that stands out in your mind as like another guy that like really was the epitome of grit and grind, but maybe doesn't have the same allure as those big four? I mean, not the epitome of grit and grind, but th- I think the next guy you have to talk about is Courtney Lee. Cause he was probably there for more of the games. And also John Hollinger on the athletic recently wrote that when people talk about the Grizzlies trading way, Rudy Gay, and some people still criticize it. Cause like Lionel Hollins at the time said, we have champagne taste and a beer budget. He was saying they were being cheap by not keeping Rudy Gay, but by trading away Rudy Gay, they created a trade exception, which they then were able to acquire Courtney Lee for uh, the next season. They were, they traded away Jared Bayless for Courtney Lee. So Courtney Lee was, I mean, he was almost like the, the harbinger of of success where like when he did good, the Grizzlies were unbeatable when the grit, when he, if he scored, it was something like there was a stat. I'm going to just make it up because I haven't said it for, it was something like if, if Courtney Lee made two threes, the Grizzlies won 80% of the games or something. It was something that basic because again, no one shot, no one shot threes back then, but it's like if, if Courtney Lee could give you 15 points, the Grizzlies were going to win. Yeah. He was a very hesitant shooter, but um, when they had the great playoff run and they lost to Steph Curry's warriors on the warriors first title run, uh, Courtney Lee had an incredible playoffs and that's why they were winning because he was locked in. And like whenever Courtney Lee made shots, that grit and grind team was going to win. Yeah. He, and he, this is a guy too, that like also comes in with lots of playoff experience with championship mm-hmm. experience. We just talked about the finals last week that they played up uh, against the Lakers where like they're all, they're really only a couple shots away from potentially winning that, 
that entire series and winning the title that year, you know, Courtney Lee missed layup and a couple right. other things that, that didn't fall, but uh, you know, Rashard Lewis shot, et cetera. Anyways, don't want to belabor that, but um, you did mention the thunder and losing to them in a, in a seven game series. Uh, that was a heartbreaker, but you guys returned the favor in 2013 when you beat them in the Western conference semifinals and then actually made it to the Western conference finals. Um, Unfortunately, it's just it's I was interested in this because like there's like two major points in the grit and grind period and there's two teams that are heavily involved in the Thunder and the Spurs. In yeah. 2010 you guys beat the Spurs and then lose to the Thunder and then it flips on its head in 2013. So, take me back to that season cuz that actually felt like a season like if we're looking at a season where like I think I don't know which one of those seasons you feel you guys were more well well positioned to actually win a championship but this to me and like i remember this one a little bit more vividly felt like the team that like the spurs were on their last leg and had just lost to the heat like this felt like a team that absolutely could have won a championship um where were you guys at at that time like mentally when you're watching this so the the grizzlies had three incredible seasons you you, you mentioned you mentioned them all um forgotten is like the 2013, 14 season where they lost to the thunder again in the first round in the seven games. So the 2013 season, they, they make it to the Western conference finals, get swept by the Spurs. I think that's like the third, that's like the, the weakest of those three seasons. Actually, they actually Hmm. were better the next two seasons. They beat the thunder because Russell Westbrook is hurt. Like they, they, they benefited from injury there. They, they were not, I don't think they, they were not going to beat the thunder with Westbrook and Durant that season. Um, they ran into a Spurs team where they just didn't have, they didn't have the firepower. I mean, they right. got swept. I want to say two of the games went into overtime. So like they, they, they fought, but the Spurs were clearly better. The following season is the season they lost in the first round to the thunder where Zach Randolph is suspended in game seven and of the first round. So like that was a big deal. Uh, that, that's also a game where Reggie Jackson had 30 something points coming off the bench in game five at, at yeah. no they game four. In Memphis, you know, it was all it was. I was there. It was the worst. Uh, the Grizzlies would have gone up three one in that series. Right. That team was fantastic. That team was, I want to say, a seven seed because Gasol missed thirty games that season. That team played at a sixty win pace when Mark Gasol played. They were amazing. They had the deepest bench of any of these Grizzlies teams. Uh, you had Mike Miller come off the bench. They had James Johnson who fell out of the rotation and Ed Davis. Like that team was awesome, top to bottom. Um, and then. And then I think the Grizzlies' best shot at winning a title was that year where they lost to the Warriors the following year. So the Western Conference year is the third is like the weakest. The next year I I maintain is the strongest, but they lost in the first round, so no one cares. Sure. Um, <laughs> and but then the next year where they had the Warriors kind of on the ropes, and this is what we diehard Grizzlies fans like to tell everyone: the Grizzlies were five and zero that playoffs when Tony Allen and Mike Conley both played. People forget Tony Allen pulled his hamstring against the Warriors and yeah. and left the, the series. Like everyone, yeah. everyone remembers this fake history, which has been one of my weird like crusades. Everyone remembers a fake history that Zach Lowe has propagated that uh, <laughs> that the Warriors, the Warriors switched Andrew Bogut onto Tony Allen. Like this is what everyone remembers. They're like, oh yeah, the Warriors figured out the Grizzlies because they switched Bogut. They did this in Game Four for like. It's like it's like six minutes of the game, right. and Tony and Tony Allen pulls his hamstring and doesn't play again. So like, <laughs> so it, like it, it it bothers me. Tony Allen's like probably my favorite all time NBA player. And so 
let it be heard. When Mike Conley and Tony Allen both played 20 minutes, the Grizzlies were 5-0 and that playoff series, and the Warriors couldn't score 90 points against them. The Trailblazers definitely couldn't score 90 points a game against them. So that was the chance. Um, I mean, I do think fully healthy that the Warriors would have beaten them, but that sure. that, that was close. And I think they could have they, – they, I think they would have then made the finals if they beat the Warriors. Do they beat LeBron James? I don't know. I don't feel like the Grizzlies, you know, maybe had the firepower, but yeah. I think that was that was maybe a more a more vulnerable Cavs team because they were hurt. I mean, if if everything right. else plays out the same, uh, Kyrie Irving's hurt, right? Um, Kevin loves down. Kevin loves down. So yeah. that's yeah. the one where if, if 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 every Grizzly every Grizzlies fan is like, if you could change one thing, it's basically you have to choose either Mike Conley doesn't break his face, or uh, or Tony Allen doesn't pull his hamstring. Uh, so like those 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 were the so I think I think that team was also really good. I, but again, the 14-15 teams, I think both better than the Western Conference final team. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I do remember that series now because like at that point in time, the Warriors, and I guess like really for the majority of that that stretch of the dynasty, although like towards the end there, once they had KD, it was kind of irrelevant. But like they always struggled against teams that had a massive low post presence. And like that was one of the yeah. things where like everybody going into that series talked about like this is going to be a tough series for the Warriors. Like the Warriors are still the favorite in this series, but like they're going to pound the ball against these guys. And like the only, the only dude that they have to throw against them is like Bogut and Draymond. And like, and if you can get past those two guys and like stretch the floor with, with, with like Courtney Lee and some of these other guys, like you're talking about a real chance there where like we could see an upset, but alas, here we are. Alas. Yeah. That was Um, the closest we got. (laughs) Now the grit and grind period has ended. Yes. I think, you could argue that when Mike Conley signed or, or was traded to Utah, that was that was the end. It's over. Um, some say it was when Tony Allen left, but you know they'd be right. Those I, people would be right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> who am I to say? Um, <laughs> but he says I'm right, so that's a stamp of approval. Also, let it be known: in three years of doing NBA, this is the first time that we've ever had Zach Lowe slander, and I'm here for it. I'm here for it. This is hey, the first Zach time Lowe's awesome, but he's telling a he's telling a fake history, and he, he's like he keeps saying it. He, he he said it like a podcast like two months ago. I'm like, why are we still telling this fake story? Damn we got to fix this. Come on, Zach. Yeah. Um, last question for you, Keith. Yes, you have a new three headed monster, um, young and upcoming three hundred headed monster in John Morant, Brandon Clark, Justin Jackson. Um, and a, and a slew of other pieces. How is Memphis feeling about the young core that is this Grizzlies team? That is at the at when the season had ended on, on March twelfth, and when we like put in a hiatus, was slated to make the playoffs. What's the uh, how how are people feeling in Memphis? Couldn't be more excited. I mean, yeah. honestly, can't be more optimistic. Everything worked out as best as it possibly could have. Anytime we're doing what ifs with the Grizzlies fan, you're like, well, now we don't want to do the butterfly effect because do we not end up with John right. Morant? Let's not right. change anything. Well, we're not going right. to change anything about our past. We're going to leave Mike Conley's face broken because now we have John Morant. John Morant is going to be better. Than, is like John sure. Morant is better than Mike Conley right now. And like John Morant is amazing. I and, agree. and so I, I, I think as a Grizzlies fan and to speak for all other Grizzlies fans, we're, we're incredibly optimistic. It looks like John Morant, projects to be an all-star so if he becomes you know you if you have that point guard who looks like he can be maybe one of the top 10 point guards in the nba for, for the next decade or so and he's young he's 20 and you pair him with a prototypical big man uh where you have jaron jackson jr who 
hit threes at historic rates this year for a big guy. I mean, he's yeah. a 40% three-point shooter on high volume, and he shoots very difficult shots. I think there was some kind of feeling that maybe he regressed or didn't advance as much as people hoped on defense. But yeah, he's still, people still talk about the foul numbers, like this thing where it's just like, yeah, okay, he's yeah. young. Like, hopefully those things go away. He's 20, and again, he, he's blocking a shot and a half per game, and right. he's hitting, I can't remember what it is because it's been three months since basketball, but it's like he's hitting two and a half threes per game at 40% you know, um, accuracy. And so like those two guys seem to pair perfectly. You have Brandon Clark, who seems like a perfect running mate in there. You have, hopefully they retain D'Anthony Melton, who just turned 22, maybe two days ago. Yeah. Uh, like he's still very young. Justice Winslow is very, very young. Never even seen him play on the Grizzlies. Totally forgot about they have this. so like they, they yeah. are. I think the Grizzlies fans were, were so optimistic because we're, we're dreaming that Jaron and jaw are both on an all-star path. And if those guys can be all-stars and they're so young that you feel you're going to have many years to get the next couple pieces around them. And it yeah. feels like you already have a bunch of like auxiliary pieces that can fit the, the team. Like you oh, have Jonas Valanciunas sure. under contract for two more years. You have Tyus Jones for two more years. You have Justice Winslow for two more years. Like the whole team is locked up. And this team is a playoff team. Like Absolutely. once they all started playing together um, since – I think it's like since December 7th is when John Morant returned from injury and D'Anthony Melton had started playing. I think the Grizzlies are 27 and 21 since then. So like they are legitimately maybe like the 12th, 13th best team in the NBA currently, like as yeah. it is right now, um, it, it remains to be seen what, what the league does with the restart and if they make the playoffs. But regardless, this team is going to be good next year, no matter what. And you still hope they can, all right, then they can navigate and maybe bring in, a third star, a four star. And you don't need Brandon Clark to become a third star or Belton or Dylan Brooks or whoever else. Those guys can just be five through nine on the roster. And if those guys are five through nine on your roster, that means your roster is very, very strong. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. why I think we're very optimistic. I agree. I mean, the future is incredibly bright for that team. And even like, I mean, you even got production out of like Josh Jackson, which nobody got production out of. Oh Josh man, Jackson. he was great. Yeah. So, it's just, it's incredible. Like, Tyus Jones, who's a fucking PER uh, darling. And just, there's all these different guys on this team. And I think to your point, like I, I am, I am, I mean, I'm a big fan of, uh, uh, um, all the smoke. And like, I would say 90% of the guys on the, all the smoke podcast that come on there when they're asked, who's your favorite player to watch in the NBA right now? Say job Morant. He is, I watched a highlight tape of him last night and he has this like Russell Westbrook, Penny Hardaway, like hybrid style game. That is, I remember watching him during the tournament last year because the Bulls were slated to pick seventh and there was hopes and prayers that we'd be able to move up in the draft. And he was the guy that I, as a Bulls fan, was like keyed in on because the thing that the Bulls are terrible at and we have no, we just have no playmaking. And this just seemed to be the guy that was the answer to all of our prayers. Uh, and unfortunately, it, it feels as if the Bulls are doomed to pick seventh for the rest of time at this yeah. rate. I don't know what's going to happen, but um Keith, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today to talk about what was a really fun period of time in the in the doldrums of the NBA, the like mid 2000s period, which is yeah. it's we're learning as we're going through these episodes. Like it's 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 tough to watch these games, especially like standard definition on YouTube. Right. <laughs> hard pass, <laughs> hard pass. Right. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't mention on my enemies, but. Um, Keith, for the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, where can they find you? Where can they find Fast Break? Tell them a little about uh, yourself. Fa Fast Break Breakfast is everywhere. And if you're a Grizzlies fan, I, there's a separate Grizzlies-only podcast on the Blue Wire Network. It's called Grits and Grinds, keeping that breakfast theme going. So it Grits is. and Grinds for Grizzly stuff, and then uh, Fast Break Breakfast. 
Love it. Keith, thank you so much. For the listeners, um, you can follow us at NBA Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can please give us a five-star rating and review. Give Keith and Fast Break Breakfast a five-star rating and review. Give them a comment. Tell your friends. Tell your friends' friends, your moms, anybody in your family who loves the NBA. Tell them to give it a listen. Um, he, John, and Chuck are awesome. Did John have his baby yet? Do we have a baby? Do we have a baby, John? Yep, yep. John is a John is a father. Yep. Our, our podcast now has a five five children. We can now field a basketball team. <laughs> Fantastic. Love it. Um, also, don't forget, guys, check out supportchicagobars.com. We took a break from the Bracket South uh, tournaments that we had to support Chicago Bars. We are focusing all of our attention on Black-owned businesses throughout the Chicagoland area. So do your best. Um, we are matching up to $6,000 of donations. We've currently hit about uh, $5,000 today. So give us uh, give your donations. Support Black-owned businesses here in Chicago and support Black-owned businesses everywhere. Um, all right. Well, for Keith, for Jay, this has been NBA, and we're out.